Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up here! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> On this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, we're joined by Alan Gingrich, and we are talking beagles, all things beagles. We're going to talk about hunting hare in the UP of Michigan, 
with Allen's Beagles. He and his brother take brothers brothers take a trip up there every year and spend about a week chasing the snowshoe hare around the UP. It's a magical place. It's one of Allen's favorite things to do, and it's a great time. I've been there in camp. I wasn't able to make it this year because of other commitments, but I can tell you that I do miss that experience. We're going to talk about the uh, UKC World Hunting Beagle Championship or the UKC Hunting Beagle World Championship. We're going to talk about brace competition. We're going to talk about small pack option. But we're just going to talk dogs in general and beagles in general. I think it's going to be a great conversation. If you haven't done so, check out UKC's podcast. Trevor Wade and Alan sit down and tackle all kinds of rules, options, and rules discussions, and just current issues that are facing the uh, competition coonhound world and all things that uh, UKC handles on that end. So it's UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. Make sure you check that out. Let's get down to it, folks. A lot of little beagles in there rattling the doors on this box. There's a hare to chase. It's time to drop the tailgate and dump the box. Hey, have you done an inventory on your hunting gear lately? How's that light looking? Are you in the market for a new one? How about your coat? Hunting vest? How about leashes, collars? Are all your dog meds up to um, up to par here? Are they all current? You can find all of these products at Cajun Lights. You can go to our website at houndsmanxp.com, go to our sponsorship page, and choose Cajun Lights. It'll take you directly to their website. You can shop all of their gear, and you can do it with confidence, knowing that you're dealing with good people at Cajun Lights. As a podcaster... It is necessary to have sponsors. In order for us to keep rolling out good, high-quality content for you to listen to, then we have to have sponsors. And I have always been very particular about who I will represent. I'm not just looking for their money. I feel like there's an obligation to you, the listener, to introduce you to companies that are high moral character, full of integrity, producing good products, and just people that will give you the highest customer service. And I've found that in LW Nixon. Since we started our partnership and relationship through his sponsorship of this podcast, I've talked to him numerous times, probably at least once a week. And he's become more than just a sponsor. He's become a friend. And I'm real particular about who I put that label on. When we talk, we don't just talk about business. We talk about life. We talk about America. We talk about the future of hound sports and hunting in this great country of ours. And I've found someone who I feel confident in their value system of honesty and hard work and patriotism. So when you hear us talk about Cajun Lights, we're not just trying to sell you a light or make a buck off of a commission. We're trying to bond this community together with like-minded people who want to make a real investment in the future of hunting and America. So shop at Cajun Lights. I promise you that you won't be disappointed in the products or the way you'll be treated at Cajun Lights. You can check them out at CajunLights.com. Alan, you guys just got back from the UP not too long ago, and man, I hate I missed that trip. I we just had double booked. We'd gone. We were going to Texas and different things. But uh, how was the UP this year? Uh, it was, chasing, chasing 
hare. Yeah, and it was. I'll try not to say rabbit. <laughs> yeah, it was as good as it was as good as ever. Weather was good again. We we were up there for a total. I was there for a total of nine days. Most of them were there for up to between five and seven days. But I, I stayed for two more days. It was so good. I I didn't have uh, anything else pressing to do, and I thought, you know what, I'm staying. So. Uh, you stayed t- after Johnny yep. and did Paul come up? He here? did. He did. Yeah, we were. All of yeah. my brothers were there except for one was out west working in Wyoming, so he didn't make it. We. I have one brother that doesn't doesn't hunt, but even he came up this year. So it was the first time we had him in camp, and and uh, and he kind of got to experience it a little bit, and he enjoyed it as well. We tried to get our dad up there too this year, and he's you know he's no he's old you know, but. Uh, He's 74, 75, I think, but uh, uh, it would have been we, – we just can't talk him into it. He thinks it's too much for him, but it would have been good to have him up there. But, man, we had such a blast again for sure. Did uh, Johnny get a stove for the tent? He did. He did. Matter of fact, that he, out? he talked about that. It worked out fine after he figured out how to regulate the dang thing. <laughs> I tell you what. Was he running you out? Oh man, that first night after he got it fired up, that first or the first time couldn't get it shut down. And no uh, kidding. No, he he did literally, but we had to open up the vents in that dang thing and I don't think I've ever been in an environment that was that damn hot. <laughs> Seriously. Like going through a Native American sweat. Oh, man, I'm telling you. But you guys that, in there smoking, smoking uh, peyote and yeah. green, <laughs> with your inner yeah. vision. Well, I don't know, but it was uh, – but, no, that, that, that stove worked excellent. That was the ticket. But once we got figured out how to kind of get it regulated a little better, but uh, that thing was – man, that thing was sweet. You know, last I'm year, I think you. when you were there, I think we had the little propane – uh, you guys were about ready setup. to die of hypothermia last year when I got there. <laughs> last <laughs> year we like, were cold. That's the coldest, coldest yeah. night I've ever spent. In yeah, camp. yeah. But it seems like when you get in, if you do not have a stove in your tent and you try to rough it out like that inside mm-hmm. those canvas tents, yeah. You know, everybody's in there breathing, and and so you're putting all this condensation in the air. I swear it's 10 degrees, at least 10 degrees colder inside the tent than it is outside the tent. Yeah, yeah, it feels like that, and I can, I, I know what you're, what you're saying there, but no, the one thing that I was kind of surprised, it was, you know, one day, it, it rained there one day, and we had a whole bunch of wet clothes hanging in there, and still, it, it, that thing just dried, the next morning, everything was bone dry, good and dry, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, uh, uh, even with wet clothes around, I thought it might be a little more damp inside there, but it never was. It was just dry and wood heat, baby. Oh man, it's so comfortable. That's the way to yeah. go. That's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. How was it? How was the weather in the UP? You guys were up there. Uh, what third week of October? I guess it was. So we went up there on. It was actually October twentieth. Is is the day we took off, and it was snowing that morning. We got halfway up into Michigan. It was uh, coming down pretty good. We got up to about Grayling. Uh, it was uh, 30 miles an hour on the road snowing, vehicles wow. vehicles in the ditch. But then by the time we got up to the bridge, it kind of cleared out again. You and didn't get held up? No, no, not like you and I did on that windy day. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. I've still yeah. not ever had to wait there to cross a bridge because of that. But uh, 
No, so the first day we uh, spent half of the day setting up, but uh, you've been there to that one spot where we go mm-hmm. to, where kind of where we camp up or camp out. But uh, we got the dogs out, you know, let them stretch out a little bit. And then we started turning, flipping some dogs, and yeah, it didn't take long. We had a race going, just setting up on that first afternoon. And I think that first day, I don't know, we got 12, 13 miles on the on several of the dogs, you know. But uh, yeah, That's just the around cool camp. thing about going up there and where you guys camp is you can you can turn dogs loose and listen to the race while you're setting up camp yeah yep yep oh it's so cool yeah this year we had uh another component so you've seen the a-frame we set up in in front of the wall tent right Uh uh-huh i think we had that last year when you were up there with that little solo stove you remember that oh yeah man that thing's that thing's a ticket now we we actually had it underneath that a-frame tent and it worked fine like that but my brother bought an brought an rv up th- uh, this year as well oh, okay. so we had it setting in front of that a-frame and we had a nice little tent or a nice little camp set up this year oh yeah sounds yep. like it yep yep we so could actually t- we could actually take a shower out there without going uptown <laughs> <laughs> that that is an added bonus it kind of <laughs> is especially after yeah. three or four days <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. All camping in the same tent. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so was there any snow on the ground? Did you guys get any snow while you were in camp? No, we did not. We, uh, like I said, it, it pretty much cleared up on on that day we drove up on the twentieth. Uh, by the time we got to the bridge, and then the weather was, we had about everything. The first couple of days, it actually got uh, halfway sunny, and then from there, I think on that was on a Thursday, and then by Monday and Tuesday, it was pretty cloudy. Tuesday it rained all day but we did run a little while and in the evening it was just kind of off and on raining a little bit not hard uh, but you could you know we still had dogs out and and all that you know but uh, mainly just around the camp there but then uh, in the evening we got on a runner man I'm telling you, you've been up there in the in that spot you know where that swamp sets you know that oh, big yeah. swamp where I had you walking back through there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the dogs yeah, never just walk. Just walk back in there, Chris. I'm sure you'll. Yeah. yeah. That was a yeah. trick. Yeah. But so we got on a uh, little buck rabbit that uh, we jumped, and he took the probably one of the furthest ones I've ever ran. But we looked at by the GPS collars and everything. By the time he came back, he had went 1.2 miles. From where they jumped him. He looped out one looped, looped way out. And this wow. was at the time when it was raining towards evening, and we were a little mm-hmm. concerned. But, uh, but yeah, we ended up getting soaked to the bone that, that night. But then after that, it was, uh, man, it was really nice. You know, so I had a couple days where it was kind of sunny, then some cloudy days, and we had a little bit of everything other than snow. Yeah. I, I've got a question for you. So hunting back-to-back days that many days in the road, uh, did you notice a difference in the scenting conditions from like the sunny days to the cloudy days to the rainy days? Which which do you feel if you did notice? What days do you feel like your your scenting conditions and the dogs just seem to run a little bit better on those days? Uh, I think Keep that, track any of that yeah, that's a good question, and I think the midday midday on those sunny days were the toughest scenting condition days. Mm-hmm. They were. Uh, you know, I say I think the best day that we had or that I had was on the last day that I was up there was the following uh, Friday. 
Uh, That's so, because you were by yourself. Hey, I, I was by myself. Those, are, it was, those, it are was, always, <laughs> those are always the best hunting days. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my <laughs> dogs are great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> heck yeah, they did. They really did. <laughs> no, but that day it was 47 degrees, cloudy, and just uh, the air was kind of damp, had a little moisture in the air that day, and I'm telling you, that was as perfect as any day up there. Wow. Just the conditions, and that was all day. It was like that mm-hmm. just all day. And it seemed the the scenting conditions and everything were just, even midday, uh, were just kind of stayed the same. Yeah, pretty stable all yeah. day long. Yeah. You had a couple of rain, days, of, or you had a day of rain a couple of days before that. Yeah. And then it all settled down, and then yeah. you had. Yeah. We geek out about scenting conditions on this show all the time, so. I think it's one of those things that, you know, if guys pay attention and it, it you can figure it out mm-hmm. without knowing all the geeky scientific stuff that, that Heath and I know. But yeah. the thing that's cool is to talk to guys that have just learned it from spending day after day and hour and hour yeah. after hour in the field, yeah. just being observant of what's going on. That is so, I, I like talking to those guys. They yeah. don't know why uh, it's happening, but they know that it happened mm-hmm. just from experience. Yeah. You know, there was one morning, uh, Chris, when it was 27 degrees up there. I'm going to say that was uh, probably s- the first Saturday or Sunday morning. Saturday, probably. 27 degrees, and it was frosty, frosty. And mm. uh, a hard, a pretty hard frost. And for some reason, you know, our dogs, not this year yet, but we run on that type of, in that type of weather and those conditions a lot. But on that first morning, when it was like that, they just acted like they couldn't hardly run anything. And we had a couple decent uh, trailing dogs down, so I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. That kind of puzzled all of us a little bit, just why Is it was like. Is that the first frost they've hunted in this year, you think? It was, but even then, I can't remember ever having the dogs taking that long to acclimate to those conditions mm-hmm. like that. But it was just something about that frost that morning. They just acted like they couldn't run very well. Was They'd, it sunny in the? Was it sunny during? It was sun coming up. Yeah, it was. Hmm. It was. Yeah. But it, it took I'm a just, good. It took a good. It was. It wasn't until about uh, nine nine thirty that morning to where, and you could tell when they when everything was good again. You could tell right away. But it was just kind of weird how the dogs struggled that much because it's not something that unusual, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, this could year. have been uh, could have been barometric pressure, you know, something like that. But a lot something. of times, what I've what I've found on those frosty mornings is as the sun's coming up and the you know the rabbits running and laying its scent down as that sun's coming up there for a brief period, um, that scent is actually rising and evaporating with the with the frost as the sun is melting that frost off. Yeah. And then once it once it once it calms down and it gets wet, you know, then the scent will hold yeah. on the under storage and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we had we had other folks coming in, coming and going, you know, and you're you, you we had invited you as well. You guys couldn't make it, but uh, uh, we had several other guys come and go. You know, come up there for I've a got day a or plan two. Plan for next year. I'm not yeah. gonna miss it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not gonna miss it. But is uh, uh, have you how, what's the weather up like up there now? And the UP, have you checked it? I have not today. Is I've it not buried. Uh, I would, I would assume so. You know, here I've, I've seen some of the weather here uh, going across Michigan uh, here in the last couple of days, and it looks like they're getting hit again. 
You know, here yeah. here this morning in Kalamazoo, it's uh, I'm not sure what day it is here, the 17th, I guess. Uh, but it was roads were terrible this morning. We got quite a bit of snow, but it was uh, 20 and 30 miles an hour coming down uh, the interstate this morning. But, Too much snow to make another trip up, you think? No, I I hope not. I'm uh, the next couple of weeks. I'm kind of uh, you know deer season's in right now. But uh, next couple of weekends, I'm kind of tied up. But I'm hoping after that, maybe the weekend after Thanksgiving, I'll hopefully I'll get a chance to get up there at least one more time. This year, I have not been up there. I've only been up there the one time. You know, normally I've been up there <laughs> oh, four, five, six times. You know, by now. You're you're struggling, buddy. I know, I, know. I am. You're in that, Too you're much in that work, bag. Chris. Too much work going on. Too many things. I hear you. I hear you. I, I'm gonna have to check my schedule, Alan. I'm, if you if you need some company, you know uh, to always check with me because I love going up there with you. It's really yeah, fun. yeah. It's a whole different experience. Yeah. I'm I, I'm not just blowing smoke. Last year that trip was probably one of my favorite trips of the year for sure. And it was yeah. just it's just the way you guys hunt and the way you camp and the way it all works out. I mean, it's just laid back and it's just you know. Yeah. Start yeah. cooking breakfast. Hey, who's going? Let's cut a couple dogs loose while we're while we're fixing breakfast. And you yeah. sit there and you, and it's just like, hey, all right, on this circle we probably ought to go ahead and take that one. Ah, I wasn't done with these biscuits and gravy yet, but I, <laughs> yeah, I guess I can walk down the road there. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, a couple things. You know, it seemed like the game population was better this year, and and mm-hmm. I don't. The only way I can gauge that, you know, no more than I went up, is just by maybe by kickers. I think last year we had this conversation where I thought the uh, population may have been down a little bit on the decrease a little bit, but yeah. uh, uh, whereas I mentioned, just didn't see as many side kickers when they're running one, you know. But this year again, I'm telling you, we saw a lot more of that again. And so it just seems like it uh, must have been a good season for it. And here's the other thing that was was a, a little strange is we ran a couple of hair that were like babies. And I have not huh. seen them that small this year. But then we had a friend of ours that was over on Drummond Island uh, running at the same time. And, uh, and he said that they had uh, took one that had babies inside of her. And that's... Uh, to get... We'll have to get the hair hair brain on this one, Seth, and uh, run this past him. He claims that that his jackrabbits out there, the blacktail, can can actually be pregnant with two litters at the same time. Really? Huh. Yep. I don't know about the snowshoe. Oh, I'm sure he'll listen to this and have a full explanation. Yeah. Well, I'm not an expert on that part of it, you know. But I just thought, well, that kind of, you know, it was just kind of weird that we had ran a couple and then and then he let us know that hey, we just cleaned one out that had babies inside still. Wow. You know, and we're yeah. talking uh, middle of October here. Yeah. Yeah. How was the? Uh, how do you think the predator population is up there? It you must know, be down. You know, I. You always talk to some of the locals up there, and I had uh, I had some uh, long conversations with a couple of them, you know, throughout that week. Uh, uh, and one of them that's lived, one of the uh, guys that owns one of the fisheries there in St. Ignace, uh, was uh, came out there, but he's a coyote hunter, and uh-huh. he he's he was talking about the the uh, uh, coyotes seem to be back again more, and they're seeing, and we mm. we heard uh, quite a few of them up there when we were there, and yeah. uh, 
but he was talking about the wolf population seems to be have been busted up and, and especially in the last three years they're not seeing the bigger packs up there anymore like they were and here again chris i say this and this is just what this fellow is talking about because you sure. get you talk to the locals up there you get so many variable varying stories right. you know on that but uh i don't know just talk to him for a while and, you know somebody that coyote hunts and things like that you know but uh he was he he said they moved the deer population is almost non-existent up there you know and he mm. was pretty frustrated with that you know and and that they how they've just pushed the deer out but with that he claimed that they've really pushed them down uh down into the into the towns and things like that and uh right. and he said he thinks a lot of them pretty much got busted up uh because of that and and uh and probably themselves out of house and home yeah yeah and they're seeing a lot more just uh lone lone wolves i guess or when they do see them and and two dog packs two or three not Mm. the big packs anymore right so it's just kind of yeah 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 well hey you guys just finished up let's switch gears and talk a little bit about ukc you guys been busy there in the beagle world too yeah yeah you know uh fall just like uh we always have our fall schedule that's busy starts uh labor day weekend you know with a uh, big coon hunt there in richmond indiana autumn oaks uh but then also with that you know comes the beagle world championship and then we also had another one was the uh beagle gun dog brace national championship which was held the week after the beagle world championship so second weekend in october and then the third weekend in october for those two events and then and came back from the Brace Nationals in North Carolina on a Sunday, Sunday night, and headed to the UP by Wednesday. <laughs> Let's. Let, I real. I want to talk about that Brace Nationals because I don't think we've ever talked about that event and what that entails. But uh, give us a recap of the the World Championship. Yeah, so this year we had it in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, which is uh, in the southeast corner of Pennsylvania, just off of Interstate 79, uh, borders West Virginia there. But, uh, man, Chris, we had one of the better ones. I've been involved in a lot of them, and this one went as well as any. We had, uh, you know, to enter the World Championship, those dogs have to be qualified. So the number isn't that great that goes to the world. We had 240-some entries this year. And and a good number, really. It's it's up that there. Is. Yeah, it's up there. Uh, but those guys out there had uh, put in a lot of effort for it, you know, and got their spots groomed and, and some pads mode so you could see game and this and that. But the most impressive thing, at the end of the weekend, we hunted a, whole, a total of 74, I think it was 74 or 78 casts. Is it was in the seventies, and only wow. one cast that did not have a total score of plus points. Mm. One all weekend long, and that just does not happen anywhere. So it was That's... it was really good. So, what does a club have to do? How much ground does it take? Um, you know, what is what does that look like for a club that's putting together a, an event like that for 74 casts of beagles well that was for the total number of casts that ran through the weekend so in the first round we had a total of i think 57 casts is how mm-hmm. it broke down one of the things that is a little different than we do in like in our coonhounds we have what we call a split entry event so the round one is actually split in in two segments so you have a round one a and then a round one b 
So I can mm-hmm. actually have two dogs qualified. I can I decide which one I want to put in A and B, and then I handle one in the first go around, and then in the afternoon hunt, which is B, it's just c- continuation of round one A. I'll hunt the other one. So mm-hmm. it's uh, that's kind of a customer friendly uh, uh, format like that. So that's the first day of competition is one A and one B. So fifty seven casts there, and then after that we broke it down into sixteen casts, and then four casts, and then one. That yeah. was the split. But uh, no, four that four dog casts, right? Yep, four dog casts, just like night hunts would be. But yeah, yeah. four dog casts, and, uh, and each... are they running on the are they running on the same ground over and no, over? No, is... no, they. If if uh, every cast has their own guide. So if you were a guide, you would take your cast to the places, the private places that you have permission to hunt. That's yeah. where you would carry them, much like a night like, hunt would be. Yep, yep like Kunal. Yeah, yep. yep. Oh, but yeah, they. It was at the uh, Green County Fairgrounds there, in the same place we've held uh, coonhound zones at before. And uh, right. there's actually several coon hunters that uh, that also uh, run beagles there. But the, you know, one thing on Thursday thursday night we have a dinner there for all the contestants and everything and uh, it's kind of a new thing for the world championship that we've done now for the last three or four years but that's always a great way to kick off a big event like that and it's it was a free dinner that we provided for them but i say we uh, in this case uh, uh out in pennsylvania you know mr uh, dr oz was running for uh senate <laughs> he's right? he actually came uh out to the Beagle Club, met with uh, some of the guys at the Beagle Club. They took him hunting there, and he got uh, he had gotten wind that the World Championship was coming there, and he actually funded the dinner on Thursday night. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So they have a member who's kind of a a, a politics guy and works some of the works yeah. with some of the local politicians, and it's good. That was a good example of how that is valuable to have uh, somebody like that in your club in, involved in your club to bring in things like at that least fami- at least familiar with it yeah you know? yeah and um yeah it's uh, we could go a lot of different directions with that conversation but but that's what we talk about all the time that's what sportsman's alliance works towards their their new advocate magazine that just came out has a whole article on how to groom those relationships mm-hmm. if we're going to have influence and and survive in the future We've got to figure out ways to get these influential people involved. They don't have to be diehard hunters. They just need to be familiar with you and have a relationship where they're not going to vote against you, mm-hmm. you know, yep. Yep. in the long run. that's You don't have to go out and have the expectation of turning your legislator into a, a hardcore houndsman. You just, you just need a guy that will listen to you, and um, you can build a relationship where he's not going to introduce and support some of this garbage that runs through our legislative halls. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like UKC's getting on kind of a trend here with with these dinners and stuff. That that dinner we had at the Tournament of Champions, and and, uh, uh, now you're doing it for the Beagle Beagle World Championship. You guys are stepping it up. Yeah, well, it's a it's it's just a good way. I, I've always felt that it's just a good way to it kind of sets the tone for an event. It really does, you know. And it used to be, uh, you'd have some folks show up on the night before the world championship. You know, it starts on Friday morning. You know, that's that's the deadline is usually six or seven o'clock in the morning for these beagle trials. So that's an yeah. early day. You know, early morning. Uh, 
and some of them would show a lot of them would show up the night before but you wouldn't see many out at the club or what have you you know or at the fairgrounds wherever you're or you're holding the event but no so to have this uh i think we had 200 and what they 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 had seating for 250 people and and it was pretty much full wow yeah well i mean how how can you start an event off any better than you know having a banquet style Mm -hmm. get together the competitors break bread together yeah you know and and have that social time it builds unity within the community it's got to have some some uh conflict mitigation effect on the event yeah and uh i I remember the old days you'd show up to an event and and maybe start the day before but everybody's walking around sizing up the competition and there was a lot of good camaraderie and conversation but at the same time there was some tension in the air and nerves are high yeah and you sit sit everybody down in the same room and you have a big meal together and you have some laughs together and and stuff like that that that's a good recipe right there. Yeah. I like it. You know, I think it breeds, it just breeds uh, positivity for the whole event. I really, yeah. and, and, you know, I think, uh, and I always try to kind of suggest anyways to, uh, you know, in the TOC, you brought it up, and that's a good example of, uh, you know, the participants see that we're trying to do a lot for them make it nice and make it be nice and make it be good and everything else and and uh hey they see folks doing their part and then we in turn kind of ask them to do their part and present themselves in a in a good way you know and and uh and it seems like that whole you know that uh process just bleeds through the whole event you know and you kick it off in a in a uh, mm-hmm. manner like that it's uh i think it does a lot for the event really does so on we're, several we're, fronts where do people get qualified kind of break it down a little bit i'm i i need a refresher course but uh you know you bring all the qualified people in here but but what does it take to get qualified for the world championship well throughout the year between january and the end of august actually we have a couple i think our last qualifying event is the second weekend in september uh, but from January 1 through there, just like the night hunts, we have qualifying, designated qualifying events across the country, you know, at various clubs. And in, for our hunting beagle program, we have a total of right around 38 to 40 qualifying events at, uh, throughout the year. Wow, and uh, that's uh, that's where how you, many how many UK how many Kunal qualifiers are there? Oh, there's more like a hundred and. 160 70 qualifiers big difference huge difference yeah you know the numbers are the numbers are kind of apples and oranges they're you know kunons is Mm -hmm. a lot bigger but um so uh yeah so you win your cast at one of those qualifiers and that qualifies you for the world championship but then we have a a what we call our last chance qualifier is uh the second weekend in September, so it's the weekend after Autumn Oaks, which is the McVeigh, the Don Senior McVeigh Memorial that's held in Coshocton, Ohio. So that is a major event in itself, and uh, 
so we use that event as a last chance so to speak and you just win your cast there at the McVeigh Memorial and that also qualifies you so that's uh, a little different than the rest of the qualifiers are but uh, and that really works well it does a couple things it it pulls in even more people to that event you know maybe some mm-hmm. folks that wouldn't go but they're not qualified yet or don't have a, have some dogs that aren't qualified yet and give them a last chance so it really works out good yeah yep. yeah and then and just then how many go ahead do you have a zone do you have a zone and then goes to the finals no, uh, the zones you're talking about is what we have for coonhounds, but here in Beagles, we don't. I remember at UKC, soon after I started, I think it was like 2006 maybe or seven. Uh, we did try it, try zones, and the Beaglers just didn't really care for that. They really? kind of like the bigger event of, uh, you know, of the world. Everybody just gather at one one weekend at the world championship and go from, from uh all to one Shotgun you know? star. yeah 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 but i think our beagler is a little bit different like that because um you know i've seen that same thing you see here you see and hear about these huge foxhound events you know where there's one weekend and you've got thousands of you know hundreds of hounds on the grounds beagle biglers kind of in that same vein they just like getting together like that and yeah i think so you know for 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 the most part, there's, you, you'll see a lot of similarities between the Beagle events and our Coonhound events, but uh, there, I would say the the Beagle events are more uh, just everybody in one big group. You don't see segregated groups here and there, and, and I'm not saying you do in Coonhounds, but even even well, more sure so. Well, yeah, you do. Well, you got you got the black and tan guys. You got the well, that's true. Walker, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. And, and, but here at this every, event, everybody's hunting a Beagle. Yeah, yeah, and and they really they, uh, uh, every everybody just it's just kind of one big crowd. You don't see uh, very many, you know, little groups around. Right. And it's good. But going back to Pennsylvania, uh, the hunters they loved it out there this year. You know, just I'm telling you, it's a good example of where game, uh, plenty having plenty of game to pursue at these big events is still mm-hmm. at the top of the list. It is. And, you know, with uh, the way everything went out there, I don't know how many guys came up, hey, you got to bring it back, bring it back. You know, guys that got beat early on, got to bring it back. And uh, What's so. different about it, Alan? What do you think, what do you think yeah. the key is? Is it habitat or is it... I think habitat is one. Primary practices? I think habitat is one. And the other thing I think had a lot to do with it is the effort that the guys at the host club put in, the Waynesburg Beagle Club, those guys put in for it. You know, and, and the effort, a lot of that effort is just uh, grooming. You know, in October, first part of October, even out there, you know, the undergrowth in a lot of places is still is still there. And you, in order to score, uh, to score, you need to be able to see the rabbits. You know, mm-hmm. and a rabbit can, you know, in thick undergrowth, a rabbit can sneak right by you. You don't see it. You know, yeah. so you want to have uh, mow some paths and things like that, you know, and have opportunities to see them, kind of set it up. And I think that's one thing that a lot of those guys uh, put a lot of effort into doing things like that. So so grooming, right. grooming some of their, it's what we call grooming some of their hunting spots. So you've got guys at this host club that are going out to private landowners and saying, hey, we'd like to bring a cast out here can we mow a path down through here mm-hmm. and and the landowners are allowing them 
to do that on their property. A lot of them are, but you know, a lot of those guys aren't, most of them probably aren't getting any more land for this than they already had. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've already got access to these places and, and, and it's nothing new. And a lot of them have had them for years, you know, so they've been able to do this for a while. But it's, it's just amazing. It's just the the hunter landowner relationship there is is what is interesting to yep. me that that they've developed such a good relationship. You know, they know Farmer John over here. Yeah, they've hunted on Farmer John's yep. place. Farmer John lets them, you know, bush hog a couple paths to to knock down some rabbits, and yep. and they've developed that relationship. Helped him, and now it's like. Well, sure. Bring that. Bring those folks out here and let them run some rabbits. Yep, and you know that's amazing. It is, you know, and you and I have had this conversation before. There's, it's some of the little things that you can do to to maintain that relationship between hunter and landowner. And sometimes it's, you know, invite them to your annual fish fry club, fish fry, or in the case we talked you about bet. this dinner thing, bring them on, bring it, invite them. Club, yeah. the club could invite them to come out there to this dinner. They see the world championship. They're they're honestly they're excited to be a part of it. Yeah. They don't have a dog. They don't know a whole lot about it, but they come out there and they see all these enthused beaglers and, you know, and, and just the atmosphere of the event. They they love it. You know, yeah. that's it's things like that that uh, that make for good relations between hunter and landowner. You know, we uh, it's not as easy anymore these days. You know, you we we all know that, you know, as compared, right. you know, to get permission to hunt. But if you still do some things like that you'd be surprised uh what can be accomplished between the two parties yeah and how they can work together that's right and they'll that's like exactly you like right. you question you know a landowner would allow them to mow some paths yep that's that's how that works yep good yep. relations between the hunter and the and the landowners we can't talk about that enough i mean we could we do major you know, multiple podcasts on on that. We talk about it all the time, but but this is a good example of how it actually works. How many how many casts did you say? Well, we had 50, 57 in round one, and then sixteen in round round two, and then four and one, whatever that amounts to, is seventy some. I'm going to say. So to put on this event, you needed fifty seven places. Yep. In somewhat of a relatively close region that allowed people to take hunters there mm-hmm. and hunt yeah did you use satellite clubs or was it out no. of this one out of one out of one club and nobody that drove nobody drove over 40 to 45 minutes at most now to say you needed 57 spots probably used at least that many throughout the weekend but there were some spots that somebody would go uh, they hunted it in the morning that they may go back to it in the evening. And some spots mm-hmm. that are just so big that they didn't even hunt all of the uh, the same area in the morning. You know, they're 90-minute hunts. So uh, That brings up a question. I mean, when, when a club is picking a guide to take, how many acres are we talking about needed to put on a cast? Is it just one spot or do you move or? You, can, you you can move, you know, and it really depends on what uh, what uh, what you're dealing with with the spot that you're at. But you know, you can you can run the same rabbit. You can score on them for three circles or score three lines on them before you need to pick the dogs up. So for a 90 minute hunt, the I would say probably 90 percent of your trials are ran at that one spot. So you ask hmm. acres, you know, probably. 
and not as much as you would think you can if if there's if you have 20 acres that holds uh has several rabbits in it that's probably going to be enough yeah now and, are the the beagles expected to all pack in on the same rabbit or can you get a split race and score on that too you can get a split race but that's not desired and that does happen but you really want them to pack you know an independent mm-hmm. beagle is is that's a faulty dog Mm-hmm. in in that in the beagle world you want them to so pack. we're not looking for deep and lonely with the beagle no no not gonna work <laughs> not gonna work hallelujah hallelujah is right <laughs> oh no there's nothing wrong with the deep i always bragged about my deep and lonely dogs too but man that sure makes it rough to put on an event when you've got yeah when you start uh, you know looking at it from that standpoint and then breeding for traits for that and wow yeah. 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 Matter of fact, we have a rule uh, for hunting beagle. You know, a dog that just fails, continuously fails to pack, that's a scratching offense. You get that dog out of there. How does that work? I mean, you, you know, does it have to be, con- you say, continued? Well, if it just can, if it just refuses to hark into other dogs that are on track, even if it has nothing going, just refuses to hark in and just always wants to be by itself. Because here's the, one of the differences here with beagles is that you you really want them to hark in to the same track. Is uh, oftentimes I like that it, word, it, if you have yeah if you have a split track uh, and they make a lose, they're they're not going to uh, they're not going to work on figuring that loss out as as much as you would expect out of your coonhound say mm-hmm. you know you so what's going to happen a lot they've kind of bred that into to hark a little sooner and uh some of the coonhound guys are going to say well that's a me too dog well uh, in, i don't i wouldn't call it a me too dog you really want them to pack up together um right so they're going to lift their heads quicker and go to that split track but there's also rules in place that, you know, if you leave a split track, there's X amount of time uh, before, uh, before, a dog, uh, uh, before a dog would take a minus or whatever for making a lose. But you want them to work at least, a, a, you know, a, a good amount of time before they do that, not just give up, but uh, uh, take off. And so they will, I guess the point I'm trying to, or what I'm trying to get at is they will lift their head and go to that opposite split track sooner. So this dog right. we're talking about that is just always wants to be by itself. It's going to yank dogs around during the trial a lot, right? It, you know, and yeah. then it, and then the other thing, if if once those dogs come over to it, then it just wants to quit and go somewhere else, find another rabbit, you know, and things like that. That's the type of dog that you're gonna. The rules are gonna uh, have it kicked out. Yeah, and that doesn't happen. That the- doesn't happen that often at all, but it it can. Did. Um- have you have you found that that guys that coon hunt and beagle hunt how is that transfer back and forth between the two uh very very well actually we mm-hmm. see we probably see more guys that are familiar with the night hunts that are also in the beagle trials and they will even tell you in the rules they'll see some similarities just in the way the certain rules are written uh, because back in the day when they started the beagle hunting UKC's hunting beagle program, they basically took the used the night hunt rules as a uh, as a as a model or as a, to start with. So there's yeah. some there's some rules that are written exactly the same. Wow. Uh, but 
Uh, and you it's see, fascinating. it's fascinating to me. We don't talk enough about um, the Beagle stuff on yeah. As you know, a whole, you, you know, in the podcast world. Yeah, you know, and, and I think it's a it's a uh, it's a program. If you like handling dogs, uh, and and there's guys that do both, have done both that that agree. Jacob Coons is one that you that you know. Yeah. He does both, yeah. and he'll probably tell you he he loves beagle handling dogs and beagle trials probably as well as as night hunts. You know, and he loves both. But it's it still has, and and I always have as well. You know, and and there's probably more guys like Jacob than you think. When I say that right now, there's well, probably. I'm glad you brought that up. Probably because. Yeah. Go ahead and finish that. I've got a point to make. Well, there's add. probably across the country. There's probably half a dozen to ten guys that uh, do both fairly religiously, actually. Yeah. Well, it, the reason that intrigued me, that point I wanted to ask you about a follow-up. One is what's the average age of your participant, and I'll tell you why I ask. Well, um, it, go that's, ahead and answer that. That's and I'll a, tell you why I ask. That's a good question. Glad you asked it. But it is. Uh, I don't know if you. It's. I think it's hard harder to come up with an average age because they are anywhere there. You see younger guys competing in this, so they're anywhere between twelve and seventy-five. No kidding. I, it really is. It's not. It's not that. Maybe in coonhounds, you're going to say the average age is going to be closer to late twenties to early thirties, somewhere in there between twenty-five and thirty-five. Not uh-huh. here. I don't know what that one would be. It, it's a. It's such a diverse age group, more so than on the coonhound side. But here's the other thing I'll tell you, Chris. That is, uh, uh, for guys that. Uh, uh, and of course, I'm always going to be pushing for it, you know. But guys that cannot keep up in the night hunts, uh, that that still like uh, hunting dogs, and, and and especially if they like hunting beagles, they might be surprised how much longer they can actually participate and do so effectively as a handler in beagle trials over night hunts. And yeah. we have quite a few guys like that, you know. And uh, the other thing that we have is in our rules that I love is the biggest thing in a in a beagle hunt uh, as far as physical uh, when it comes to physicalities or whatever is running so we score lines the the it's just like a it's simulated after a, a gun hunt so the dog mm-hmm. jumps a rabbit and you basically those that people that rabbit hunt know that you just stay in the same spot as, you know, on cottontails anyways the dogs will loop this rabbit around generally circle around that rabbit's gonna come right back where it started Okay, mm-hmm. and that's where you're going to shoot the rabbit when you're hunting, basically in that same spot. Well, this, that's how you also score here. So when they jump a rabbit, they circle it around. There's obviously some scoring procedures if they have little breakdowns, yada yada. But they bring it back around. This rabbit comes by, it runs by a stump or something. You call line right there. Mark the line right yeah. at that stump, and then you score line points right there and score the dogs. There's line points for the dog that comes through there for second, third, or fourth. Now they gotta, you know, they gotta be online. Can't be way off. They gotta be. It gotta show that they have the line to score on it. Uh, but so the biggest thing, the biggest physical thing for uh, for hunters or a handler is often when somebody, when the dogs are coming back, the handlers will spread out a little bit, and all the handlers are looking for this rabbit to call a line. If I see it, I'm gonna yell line. You know, and everybody comes running over there because we got to have majority there of handlers there to be able to to see them come through the line to be able to score those dogs. So that running to that spot is probably the hardest thing for some of the older guys. 
And mm-hmm. I say that to say this. We have a rule where an older guy can be sign up to be an inactive handler. An inactive would be that they are uh, an inactive handler is one when it comes to scoring lines like that. In a four-dog cast, and you have one inactive handler. Now, when it comes to scoring lines, that's basically three guys, and only two of the three have to be there to see it. So this fourth guy is kind of, he's taken out. Now, the only thing that goes against him is, you know what, he may be, he may just not see how they scored him. And he may not get to see his dog, how his dog scored on there. He's just going to take their word you know the rest mm-hmm. of the guys on how they scored but that actually works quite well and it in a called honor rules exactly and it allows this guy <laughs> to actually who's not as physically fit or capable anymore to still be able to participate a lot longer here than they would in a night hunt and i love i love that inactive you. rule policy yeah. or whatever you want to call it i'll bet you some of these old salty beagle guys though that that know that they can't run they're smart enough to know and savvy enough and, and seasoned enough that they need to be calling line, you know, and have the young guys run to them. Yeah. They know, they know where to put themselves to see that rabbit. Yeah. You know, they've done it so much that rabbit's going to, they, they're reading the train. Here he comes. He's coming yeah. down through here. If I was that guy, I'd be, I'd be looking for that opportunity to call line every yeah. time. <laughs> well, you know, here in, in the, in the Beagle trial, if, if you can't make it to the, to the, uh, to the line or where whoever called it if you're out of position so far that you can't get there uh to the point where they can't score the dogs you've kind of let your castmates down nobody's yeah. going to score right. you know so you want right. to be able to get there but uh, and yeah. most of the time they're not spread out that far that you can't but all that can happen pretty quickly you know mm-hmm. oftentimes that rabbit has a good lead on the dogs but not always you know and, do they do they call line before they see the rabbit or immediately when they see it? When they see it. Yeah. When the, when they see it, right. Yep. Yeah. So not everybody in the cast has to see the rabbit run through. You've just got to be able to call a clear line. You've seen the rabbit. You've got the landmark. You've called the line, and now you're waiting to be able to score the dogs as they come across. Correct. Only one person got in it. the cast has to see the rabbit. Got it. And they also okay. carry, just like in night hunts, you know, a lot of them carry the little laser lights or whatever to, to show in the tree where this where they're trying to yeah. show somebody the coon. They use these same lights, lasers, for to mark that stump. Yep, right there. Right there is where it went through, from left to right or right to left or however it came through. Wow. And that's the line. Yeah, the reason I ask you about the demographics is because, you know, in, in the competition coon hunting, it's just so it can be very physical, mm-hmm. you know, and you, nobody knows it better than you, Alan, when you ran some of the, you know, you've run some of those casts and doing the play-by-play back in and you're walking yeah. to yep. every split tree and, yeah. and stuff like that. So a lot of, uh, I, traditionally, I've known a lot of houndsmen that, um, you know, once the, the, the coon hound became too physical for them, then they move to Beagle. But it sounds like what you've got going on over there is a very diverse group, and it's not just a retirement sport for, for the old wash, you know, the old guys like me that are getting fat and out of shape and washed up in competition coon hunting. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just like coon hounds, we also have uh, uh, 
youth handler series you know we in in beagles we call it first strike but uh you know so we're talking about what's the average age group i'm telling you, we have a lot of kids that participate yeah. in these beagle trials really do mm. sure yeah, do, so so let's talk about this brace i want I, i've never heard of the the brace nationals yeah is well what it's called yeah it's the gun dog brace is what it's called gun dog brace yeah, so we lay have that, lay that format out. For well, me. that's a little different. It's a uh, uh, we just started it in 2020. That was the first year we had it, and then COVID hit, so it kind of got a slow start. No you wonder know. I haven't heard of. it. Yeah, <laughs> so 21 <laughs> is kind of the first year, and it was the first year we had a national. So uh, it's the Gun Dog uh, Beagle Gun Dog program, where it's a little different. Where you have instead of handlers uh judging the dogs or what have you or splitting out they we have two different uh two different formats one is a small pack option and the other is gun dog brace so in the first series okay. of like a small pack option you'll have up to uh, seven dogs in the same pack that draw out in one pack and in gun dog brace uh, they start out in trios in the first series so the gun dog brace part basically comes from the old traditional brace, you know, where you have one dog against another. That's what a true brace is. But mm-hmm. then, uh, so the small pack option, it starts with bigger packs, and then you have the judges, two judges that actually run with the dogs, and basic, they don't really score the dogs. They keep some notes, but then they uh, they they remove dogs out of the pack they pick up dogs you know and that's just a a part of a trial pick you're getting picked Mm -hmm. up or what have you and then they at the after the uh after the whole first series when all of your packs have ran they come back with their notes and they will say what dogs they want back for second series and it's an elimination of uh uh process of elimination so going back to this brace uh, that's small pack option but brace they start the first uh, series in trios and then after that they do the same in second series it's kind of the same concept but they do score the dogs there so they have a high dog and some point stuff or whatever what have you just in a nutshell won't go too deep into it here but uh, uh, but then they do brace them after that and then it's and what does that mean? What does the that two mean dogs, exactly? two dogs are up against okay. each other, only two. Now that's a true mm-hmm. brace, just heads up or whatever. And uh, they have a high dog and maybe a low dog are braced together or whatever, or a, like a first and second. If you were the high dog in the first series, high points dog, you're going to go up against the second dog in the final brace or whatever. And there's a chance mm-hmm. that second dog could still overcome that first one. It doesn't happen that often, but that's how those work. And then at the end of the day, you have four different classes. You have a, in, uh, they usually, generally, they run males on one day and then females on another day. And they're run in two different classes, and it's by height. The 15-inch class, which is 15 and lower, or a 13 and shorter class. The 13s and 15s don't run together. Okay. And then, but they also run in a in an enclosure. So that's kind of the difference between that and the hunting beagle format. Okay. So so are the, they scored scored the same? No, no. There's like I said, for the most part, they're uh, the in in the gun dog brace. They do <clears throat> they do have a they kind of score them a little bit in some fashion, you know, but uh, but not like they would in uh hunting beagle there's not a set mm-hmm. scoring system like there is in hunting right. beagle so can you be successful on both your hunting beagle and your 
uh, gun dog brace categories? Well, often, same type of dog. Well, oftentimes, uh, most of our small pack option gun dog stuff is in the South, in Mississippi, uh, you know, Alabama, Georgia, those places. Uh, some in Tennessee now, uh, but then out east, there uh, the gun dog brace is more popular. Mm-hmm. So really, what I'm seeing, you have basically the same set of rules that they're going by the same criterias but you do see a difference in the in the style of dogs that are competing in those gun dog brace trials versus the small pack option and i would say gun dog brace is uh, quite a bit i say quite a bit is more conservative i'll say mm-hmm. uh, they How will they compare to hunting beagle uh more conservative gun dog brace does for sure so in a check area check is when a dog has a uh what we call a uh 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 uh, momentary uh, breakdown in the track you know mm-hmm. they break down track so balls. so yeah so uh, in gun dog brace they really judge the dogs pretty strictly in that what they do in that check you know and they don't want them wandering out of the check area you want them to work from the inside out which is the way they should you know so mm-hmm. a dog that's just going to move out right away is probably going to get dumped pretty quick so to speak but yeah. they really watch them and, and really judge them how they work in that check area and work it properly the way they want them to and from the inside out and not be too far reaching so to speak whereas uh, uh probably what we see in the south that uh, where the spo dogs some of those are uh they're not quite as conservative maybe but then uh, then as compared what, that, what does that mean exactly what, they're not as conservative they're going to let them range out a little bit more they're and, going to stretch and, out a little bit more in the check area probably yeah yeah gotcha yep but then you can you can actually just you can actually have a dog that is so bred so tight to work that check area and that's that's pretty impressive if you go watch a dog like that that is bred to be so tight in a check area when i say tight some of them are when that line breaks down they're not doing a whole lot more than swiveling around on their hind ends type of type of area you know very tight for that specifically yeah yeah and it's it's amazing it's amazing how they've bred dogs to be that tight in a check area Hmm. whereas uh so then to, to say can they compete in hunting beagle uh you know i've seen dogs that that could not but I've also seen dogs in the SPO and, you know, in the deep south and those areas that absolutely could. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I would say the dogs in Hunting Beagle, for the most part, have a little bit more foot. When I say foot, I'm talking about a little faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, uh, you know, when we go hare hunting in the, in the, you know, hare hunting, you want a dog that lifts its head up and not a right. dog that has its, has its yeah, nose. He's not a brace dog. No, he's not going to have his nose down in the, on the ground. He's, you want a dog that has his, you know, can lift his head and run like that, you know, so right. those aren't the same dogs in that respect, but there's dogs in that SPO that can absolutely could compete in our hunting beagle too. Just because, uh, if, if you, if if you have good a dog has good line control doesn't miss many lines there's a lot of points to be scored in lines on lines mm-hmm. and there's a lot of points to lose if you if you if you uh, miss lines right. so uh, you know in that respect some of those dogs that are pretty conservative they can really make up for uh, maybe maybe they they're not carrying the front end or and things like that they can really make up when it comes to control. There's a whole vocabulary surrounding this beagle stuff that I don't know. So you're you're, uh, but from what I'm gathering, and just to break it down for a guy that's never been involved in it, it sounds like you know if I take my hunting beagle, I'm looking for, for a dog that can can 
is a very good track dog. He's got good speed or foot. He can get those line points and things like that. And a lot of times um, he can cut and slash tracks a little better. He's not gonna he's not gonna be pivoting around in the what do you call it the the check, check area. area, right? You know he's gonna get that head up and he's gonna he's gonna get it moving a little quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the whole thing that I'm hearing here is the brace is a little bit of more about traditional working style and the hunting beagle is more about who can get that rabbit around here the fastest most effective way uh and style kind of goes out the window it will uh, uh, more so not, than out the, not, the, not out the window per se we, but you know a little more a little a little a little faster paced a faster paced like dog is faster paced yeah. dog is right you know now they still we still have rules that you know cutting and slashing and things like that will get you thrown out or get you scratched too you know dog yeah. gets a uh, dog mm. gets warned for that cutting slashing and rough running is another one you know uh you know one thing that you don't want a dog to do is if you have a dog that runs the front end or any dog for that matter in the pack and they run a, a rabbit makes a turn and they run off the end of their you know their little speeder they run off the end of that track and they're going to do that more a dog that's faster is going to run off those ends probably quicker than a slower dog will obviously mm-hmm. but then it's uh, then it becomes a thing of how they use their mouth you know, a dog yep. that continues to bark after he's run out of trail and pulling his other pack mates astray or whatever, that's no good. You know, yep. so it's things like that that you uh, that you uh, look out for and that you get judged on and things like that, you know, when, when all those things happen, you know. but uh, So there's, a, there's kind of a fine line between having that foot and, uh, you know, and having line control still, you know. And, I, I just go back to my childhood. My brother had... You met Matt last year. He had beagles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first little beagle he got was Sally, and she was a 13-inch beagle, and she was more of like a brace dog. She was very consistent, very methodical on her tracking. Yeah. Uh, when she made a lose, she didn't get way out of out of pocket or anything like that. And um, uh, then I brought home Barney, and Barney was a 15-inch beagle, and Barney could fly but sally was the anchor that kept barney on track yeah. you know because he would fly off the ends he'd get out of that yeah. you know he'd run past tracks and before you know it you know he's out here looking for a track 30 40 yards away from where the rabbit ran and then here comes sally through there tried and true yup 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 get to the check area boom she's back on it and then barney had sucked back in yeah and then i'll tell you what got really crazy is we had this little uh terrier mutt terrier running around there and she bred sally and those dogs were a train wreck man yeah they 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 absolutely would fly on tracks and and uh yeah so yeah. it was a completely different beast yeah. at that point but yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah i, I get yeah. it i think i i think i'm getting a better idea of what we're looking for here yeah, you know, and it's, there's, there's different, you know, the hunting beagle format is really geared around the hound and hunter, uh, you know, just uh, kind of geared around hunting rabbits, really, you know, if you, uh-huh. if you can't score, if you, uh, your dog can't bring a rabbit around, you're not going to have any game to put in your, in your bag, you know, that's about, and you're not going to get any points in a trial if, if you, if they can't do that, so right. they got to be able to do, you know, there's other registries that have, uh, have good solid, uh, beagle programs too, you know, the AKC is known to have, uh, they've had, they've been around for years and years, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 
and they have the it you know to be a champion a field champion over there uh it's it's and we get compared a lot to there and their titles are they they have a hold a lot of integrity and rightfully so but our champions get compared to their champions a lot and and you know and I would agree our champ that's apples and oranges really the setup to earn those points and earn those degrees is, is apples and oranges it's not mm-hmm. the same but uh you know just like coonhounds you know UKC has the grand titles so once a dog becomes a champion, one of the differences is now they compete. They move up and compete in that category and only against those champions. So yeah. and then that's how they earn their grants, you know. But if you know if they get to that class, uh, it's going to take a pretty nice dog to be able to earn their grand degree. So right. I would say, you know, just the way the rules are and everything is once a dog is uh, a, a grand, you know, compare the, that's where they should be compared, the grands compared to their champions maybe more. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I will say that I think the way our rules have been, off game is a, is a no-go. That's a, that's a toss-out. The dogs yeah. cannot be encouraged to hunt. They have to do that all on their own. And obviously, you know, you have to have a dog that hunts. A dog that, that doesn't hunt, stands around, doesn't go hunting, that dog's going to get, there's rules that gets that dog tossed. Uh, the other thing is we talked about scoring lines. So, and there's also, they also compete for uh, strike or jump. You, so, you know, okay. you know, so after you score uh, the same rabbit three times, circle it three times, you have the rules are such that you got to pick the dogs up and move them away and go compete for a new rabbit, a, a different okay. rabbit, and compete for strike again and jump and things like that. <laughs> So with that said, you have to all you handle dogs quite a bit. Yeah. Any anytime, you know, anytime there's uh uh whatever, you handle dogs quite a bit in a beagle trial. So what I'm getting at is if you have a grand, the one thing that you're going to have with a grand, I feel like in UKC is you're going to have a dog that will hunt and it will hunt by itself. Doesn't need any help there alone mm-hmm. or with other dogs. Alone it's going to be able to do it. It is going to handle well. And it's going to be able to bring a rabbit around for you, and it's not going to be trashy. Nice. You know, so I think yeah. as a as a whole, a UKC Grand is a pretty reputable rabbit dog. Right. And, and I'm biased, of course, but uh, I truly also. <laughs> you think? Yeah, yeah. No. Well, you can say well, that. I you mean, know, it's, but it's seriously, like, it's just like it's just like comparing trying to compare, you know, Formula One racing to NASCAR. To, yeah. You know, whatever. it's not the same. A different set of rules. Yep. Yep. It's not a different the same. goal. Yeah. A different, you know, so um, if you're going to compare drivers, race car drivers, it's hard to compare a race car, you know, a race car driver from one one circuit to another. Mm-hmm. You need to compare them within the circuit. Yeah. You know, yeah. you get a few individuals that can yeah. that can do both. Yeah. You know, but yeah. but they're uh, yeah. You know, I get the, it. you know, the other part that that we run into a lot is uh guys from other formats where just like in the gun dog format where the judges run with the dogs so if i bring my dog to a trial uh you're one of the judges uh my dog is your dog for that day in the trial you know you you judge my dog Uh and whatever however you see things that's how it's going to be for that you know yeah but uh, so in, in the hunting beagle format, it's like four dogs in a cast or out in a cast. And one of those guys is selected to be the judge. And you know how all that works. All those judges are sure. selected beforehand to make sure we have got uh, honorable judges and yada, yada. 
But guys that are not used to this format that we call the Hound and Hunter have a hard time wrapping their head around how it would work that I could have a dog in a cast that I'm also the judge of. Right. But you being familiar with the night hunt stuff, you know that does, in fact, work, and it works quite well. Yeah. Better yeah. than – but so uh, – it, it couldn't work it, – it really couldn't work without it. You right. Know, honestly, right. you know, we, yeah. we could not – Not in today's world hunt. especially. No. No, I mean, everybody, and, you'll hear guys say, well, I think we ought to go back to non-hunting judges. I mean, you, you can't even, a lot of times you can't even get enough people there to hold a, a four-dog complete cast, you know. Right. And then thinking about, thinking about putting four judges or ten judges that are non-hunting, getting people to show up. If my dog's not in the hunt, I can tell you I'm not going, yeah. you know. yeah. For the most part and then when you get into the bigger events then yeah i mean i think you guys and pkc everybody recognizes that and um uh you know puts those hunting judges in when it's when it's most uh, beneficial for the yeah. integrity of the hunt and things like that so yeah well i think there's a lot to, i think we often say you know that some of our best judges that we have are actually a lot of them are hunting have a dog in it yeah true True. You know, they can't tell yeah. me I was, uh, you know, I didn't compete back in the 60s and 70s, you know, but uh, from what I saw in the late 80s, early 90s, and when they still used more hunting judges at some of the bigger events, uh, there had some dang good ones, you know, but they also had to have a judge for every cast, and there was a lot of them that uh, got judges that shouldn't have been there. <laughs> you know, I know those. You got those, that so right, to, you got that so right to, man. To, uh, it's like, who, ah, we'll, we'll have so-and-so judge a cast well he we don't have he's a, never been in a competition right, in his life right but he doesn't you know, have a dog never, in it he doesn't have a dog got, in it he should be fine yeah. right <laughs> how's he gonna know the rules yeah, yeah, yeah for sure yeah. sometimes the good old days um aren't as good as what we try to remember them as so yeah yep hey how's the podcasting business you guys have been you and trevor have been turning out podcasts and, yeah well we have uh how you enjoy it we're we're having fun with it you know i think we're getting more relaxed with doing it takes a little bit as as you probably know but uh uh we're nowhere close to where guys like you but uh but we 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 try you know and and, and they're doing quite well actually and we have a lot of fun with it different uh mm-hmm. it's just we did one that dropped uh uh yesterday uh um, as of the day of this recording i guess on reproducers that was yeah. a fun one for us you know, I'm not, to listen to I, gotta... I love that kind of stuff and breeding and things like that. We pulled up the information for the top 10 or top 20 uh, all-time sires that produced the most pups, not just mm-hmm. title dogs, but looking at some of those lists is just, uh, if you like things like that, that was fun, except when it comes to it would have been so good to have for certain breeds, it would be so good to have somebody that is that is very knowledgeable in a specific breed to sit down and have discussions with them. But you get down to the, uh, you get down to the treeing walkers and you look at the current and even the historical ones and what it takes to get on that list. Really just look at that. And, you know, one, one point I'll bring up here, and uh, this was kind of a beagle related segment here, but let's segue over to coonhounds for a second. Uh, as you know, uh, just like, uh, Big Country is one that's not on yet. Well, he is, but uh, in 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 uh, and he's kind of the same way. It's just going to be a matter of a little bit of time here. 
But yeah, he's uh, current. He's on the current. Yeah, list. he's not on historical. But get to the tree and walkers and uh, J.R. Gray's Willie Dog. You know, he's one of the hottest stud dogs out there. Mm-hmm. We we hardly we didn't mention him. We didn't till the end. You know, that's hey, no, we never mentioned Willie. That's how strong that uh, those reproduction records are in the Walker breed. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. if you really look at it and and look at that. It's pretty. Uh, but I love stuff like that. It would have just been even better talking about podcasts to have somebody on that is uh, more knowledgeable mm-hmm. of uh, more of those uh, more of those dogs than what Trevor and I are. But we have a lot of fun with it. And it's going pretty well. Well, you, you always can follow that up. You know, mm-hmm. the thing about creating podcasts is you come across a good topic, and then afterwards you have the conversations, and you start thinking. It's like let's that. That was an interesting concept. So I'm gonna go find somebody that can can specialize that, and then you can always refer back to the episode you did on the historical. And this week we've got, you know, so and so on here who's been breeding these hounds for a number of years. Yeah, I mean that's the cool yeah. thing about yeah. podcasts. Yep, yeah, it is. It's you know, kind of self perpetuating at times. You yeah, know? yeah. It, you, you know the you, one thing the one thing that we liked about it, and the one thing that kind of drove us to try to have something is we write a lot of articles, and it's frustrating for us to write so much, publish things that people just don't read for whatever reason. You know, and they tend to frustrating like frustrating to produce. It's frustrating to produce podcasts and then and then <laughs> not have people listen to. Yeah, well. <laughs> But I think people tend to listen to things like this more so than read a magazine or read an article oftentimes, it seems like. So when it comes to rules and talking about rules and things like that, we thought this would be a platform that might just help us uh, uh, serve us better, you know. And I think some of that is is really working well. Uh, but the one thing uh, that I will mention that uh, I didn't think about so much, but sometimes when you go back and listen to uh, some of those, especially rural things, you're like, oh man, it's easy to it's easy to say something wrong, or you go back, man, I wish I wouldn't have said it like that, you know, and and sometimes even blatantly wrong, and not didn't even think think about it, you know, but you probably know what I'm I've what eat, I mean. I've eaten crow. Yeah. Well, I did I did it with um, a podcast where I had to have you come on and clarify um, some things on an. Ask me anything Friday. Yeah, but that we run. You yeah, know? I don't think I don't think shoot, that was as far off as what uh, what your. Well, but, the problem the problem with producing podcasts, and I've I've tried to tell people this, you know, just because I'm a, producing a podcast doesn't mean I'm not the same dumbass I always was, <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know it's a it's a learning thing, and it's just. Uh, it, I when I'm producing these podcasts and talking. I'm. I feel like I'm just facilitating the conversation from people who have a lot more knowledge than I do, to get to get that information out there. That's yeah. that's a beautiful thing about it. I, that's why uh, our format that we use is like that. Not to set up a, us up as the experts on much of anything, but to bring the experts to people that want the information. Right. Right, that's a good way of putting it. I think yep. Trevor does a an a, a great job with putting 
topics together, you know, and he's he does his thing a little bit. Carrying the, I know who's carrying the load over there. Well, he does he does his <laughs> his setup looks a little Shout different. Out to Trevor. Yeah, his setup looks a little different than mine. You know, he has he has all his little notes and this and that, and I'm kind of more off the cuff oh, yeah. kind of guy than than he is. But hey, kudos to him. I just don't feel like I have the time, or I don't, don't take the time to make up um, all these little notes. But then the end result yeah. is often better on his part than it is than it is mine. But no, we yeah. enjoy it, and uh, they, they've been fun to do for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, they can find it. What's it called? It's called UKC Hunting Dog Ops Podcast. Is that what it is? Almost. UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. Hunting Ops Podcast. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it is a good podcast. You guys put a lot of work into uh, getting the right information out there. It answers a lot of questions. Uh, one thing I would recommend to anybody that's that's listening to podcasts is like when you go to the podcast you find it in your app you can actually browse through and find all of the titles and all the topics we attach all our show notes with every episode that describes everything um so you're going to find out i think we're that we're dropping 272 episodes tomorrow you know once you do so many you can't remember uh, yeah. what episode numbers and different things and I'll get messages occasionally. Hey, have you ever done a podcast like this? Well, my advice to listeners is scroll through and see if you can find it before you, because I get requests like that all the time. And um, with with so many um, so many different topics, it's it's easier for me to to uh, forget. And uh, I'll usually come up with it. But you'll find you'll find that out. You're going to get start getting. Hey, why don't you guys do a podcast on this, or why don't you do a, we did do a podcast on that, and it was episode thirty-two. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's there's a it's a I like that we can be diverse, you know, in in trying to. We haven't done one on squirrel hunting yet, or the squirrel dog programs, or anything like that, you know. And that's a smaller program for us, but you know, we we've yet to do some things like that. The one I'm looking forward to actually tomorrow that I'm doing, or not tomorrow, next week. I, might be the first week in December, might be the weekend after that, with Todd Kellum, is the guys from U.S. Sportsman Alliance are coming down. Yeah. And so we're going to do a podcast with them. I look forward to doing that, another one that's kind of different. But Is Eric coming and yeah, coming, Eric? I, I think Eric, I, I forget, he, Eric was one of them. I forget who all he said mm-hmm. was coming. But I told him, I said, hey, we need to use this opportunity and, and do a podcast with him. So. Yeah, yeah, some things like that. Yeah. The other thing that I like is that our. Well, well, I'm gonna our, make it. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make a plug here real quick. Yeah. For us, um, we just. Matter of fact, I just uh, got everything finalized this week. But when people join us and support us on Patreon, we're going to pay for your membership to the U.S. to the Sportsman's Alliance, and uh, uh, it comes with a bunch of benefit packages. And the reason we did that. When you look at their magazine, The Advocate, there's so much information in there. It's it's Brian Lynn does an outstanding job of you know bringing all that information together and and putting it together and putting it in a uh, format where we can glean all that information of current events and things going on that are absolutely 100% affecting you to be able to turn your beagle loose for you to be able to hunt bird dogs. You know this month's uh, uh, Advocate. Is, a lot of it is geared towards the uh, recent uh, legislation in California about the way that outdoor industry can be promoted to the youth. Um, 
just it it it's an extremely one of our former guests john boland he's been on the podcast a couple times he worked for the aspca and left that organization because of the corrupt practices over there he was featured this month so a lot of good stuff there that and you don't have to join us on patreon to do it just if but if you don't join the sportsman's alliance and get involved they are keeping they're the, they're the guardians at the gate and they they have the infrastructure and everything that that we don't have that ukc doesn't have but that's what they do they keep they are the watchdog for our hunting community and and you couldn't have said it any better they are really really in as legit as legit can be yep 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 they've been around for 43 43 years yep. i think i mean so they've got a strong track record yep. they're filing lawsuits you know it's it's not only uh, you know we don't have to sit we're not sitting around anymore and watching the animal rights activists yep. file these frivolous lawsuits us or the I keep saying U.S. Sportsman Alliance because I'm old school. It's just Sportsman's Alliance. It is, yeah, it is. They I, I are, do the same they, thing. Yeah, they are suing them back. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You know, we uh, uh, talking to them. We get uh, a caller will or somebody will send us a message. Hey, we've got this bill, you know, that we're dealing with, you know, and and are you aware of it? And yada yada yada. Well, I've and, done it to you. Yeah. Well, and oh. often more. I don't know that I have ever went over to the Sportsman's Alliance, and they have, uh, haven't already been on it. They're already yep. on it. They know about it. Yep. There's very little that slips by them that they don't already, that they're not on. That's right. That's right. Well, Alan, we better wrap this one up, buddy. Well, hey, I appreciate it. It's always good, and this is a, another fun one. But, uh, yeah, you got to make sure you get back up to the UP with us one of these one of these times and cut some more dogs loose and run some more hair. It's one of the funnest things you can do. I'm telling you, that is just a, that's a great great trip to make with you guys so i always appreciate the invite i appreciate you taking time to sit down and and uh talk some beagles and uh we'll wrap it up all right anytime chris you have a good one yep until next time you follow your hounds and i'll follow mine if you want more information on the sportsman's alliance go to houndsmanxp.com click the support tab join us on patreon and we will sign you up for the Sportsman's Alliance. It's time to take a stand. It's time to fight back. Sportsman's Alliance is a group that we know can do that. That's why we've partnered with them. So when you join us on Patreon at the $12 level, we're going to cover your membership to the Sportsman's Alliance. I just got my Advocate magazine from the Sportsman's Alliance, and I'm telling you, there's tons of information in there that you need to know if you call yourself a houndsman if you're serious about hunting in the future you've got to engage it's time to stop just venting on social media we can help you go to houndsmanxp.com click on the support tab we'll get you signed up for the sportsman's alliance also included in your patreon membership we do monthly drawings that are valued up to a hundred dollars we do a semi-annual drawing which is up to $500. We do an annual drawing up to $1,000. We've got promo codes over there. Um, all our gear is available, and we, we, we try to get that out to you, and we support you. We've got bonus material, tailgate talks, all kinds of stuff on Patreon. It's a great value. Plus, you put your name on the line, 
with hundreds of other houndsmen who have stepped up and said enough is enough. It's time to fight back. If you want to see a difference in this world, be the difference. Join us at houndsmanxp.com. Sign up for Patreon. Let us get you plugged in with Sportsman's Alliance, the world's premier organization that is fighting for your hunting freedoms.